0: Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. Uh, We thank you for today. We thank you for what you're doing here at Grace Family Church and in the city of Tampa. Lord, in every life and every family represented, Lord, we just pray that you pour out your anointing upon them, that they will be filled with your spirit, and your fruit will be abundant in their life, that you will lead and guide their steps. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, where's my wife? She left. Okay, I need my clicker. Hold on. And I jingle. Thank you. All right. And away we go. All right. By a show of hands, by a show of hands, who has read or heard of the story of the Good Samaritan? Okay, one more time. I didn't get the whole room. I like I like this. Okay, good. So most of us have heard this story of the Good Samaritan. It is found in Luke chapter 10. Uh, it, It is a story that Jesus tells to bring clarity to the law. It's probably second in popularity to the prodigal son and who by a show of hands have seen, have heard or read that passage, the prodigal son. Okay, this is about the same number of hands. Awesome. There's a lot to learn because this passage takes the gospel from just being words but really making the gospel action. I don't know about you, but have you ever tried to justify some of your behavior? Have you ever tried to explain away why you were late or why you didn't want to come? I had this great shirt in high school, and it says, I really didn't want to be here. And, you know, there's just some moments where we just want a reason to exclude ourselves from others. Some might be for good reason, but many times it's probably not. So we read, it goes... And behold, a lawyer. Now, a lawyer was not necessarily what you and I think of a lawyer. Uh, This lawyer was not a person who would have necessarily gone to court or defended your case. But his job was to preserve and to expound the law. So his job was if someone came to the rabbi and said, Rabbi, I have this predicament. Did I... Obey the law or did I break the law? And the rabbi would probably turn to his scribes and his lawyers and say, let's debate this. They would come together. They would say, yes or no, you kept the law or you broke the law. Does that make sense? All right. And so this was his job. He was a man of the law. He knew the law, all the Old Testament, probably the prophets and the writings. He knew, for the most part, the entire Old Testament very well. And clearly we see he's off to no good because he says to put him to the test. He's hoping to catch Jesus in a lie, hope to catch Jesus in some kind of loophole that's going to say, aha, I knew you weren't God. See how that works for him. Says teacher or rabbi says, "What what shall I do to inherit eternal life? this is a fair question i think this is what what is necessary for my salvation i think this is a question many of us have asked before what what do i need to do to be saved what must i do to be born again what what does it mean to be a christian right what does it mean to be a follower of god kind of however you want to chalk that up and jesus being a well-trained jewish man now the one thing that jews do well is they ask questions And many of the times when Jesus asks a question, he answers it with another question. And he says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Now that passage can be found in Deuteronomy 6, 5. Actually, it excludes mine, but as the the Jewish people... Uh, from the time that Moses received the law moving forward, they kind of, they wanted to be sure that they were all-encompassing. And so this was a saying, this was very common. It was a part of their prayers on a daily basis. Lord, let me love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength and all my mind. It's really saying all of me I give to you. And then he said, and your neighbor as yourself. Which is, can be found in Leviticus nineteen eighteen. Now, the, the, he left a little bit out, but that's okay. But, but we get the point. He, he's saying, ultimately, you have to love God and love your neighbor. And Jesus said to him, you answer correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, if the lawyer was smart, he would have stopped there. He would have gone, thank you, Jesus, that I will do. I I will give all I have to follow Jesus and I will do all I can to love my neighbor. But he doesn't. He does like most of us does and try to justify our position. And that's what he says. But he, desiring to justify himself, meaning how can I get away with not doing all of this? He He said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? The longer... The Jewish people practiced this law, the smaller their neighborhood got. Some scholars believe that literally people when they said "My neighbor," they meant the person to the left and to their right. That did not mean the person across the street. Like they did not have to love the guy across the street, but they had to love the guy to their left and to their right. That was it, because that's how narrowed down they got to neighborhood. Or meaning their neighbor. So Jesus replied in a story. It says, "A man." We don't know if he was Jewish or not, but probably was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jerusalem, if you know, is the capital city of Israel, as it uh, is today, and it or. And it was recognized for a very long time. It goes back many, many years ago. It so goes actually all the way back to Genesis. But it was where the temple was built to where the kingdom was. It was the center of, of Jewish life was in Jerusalem. But Jericho was actually a priestly city. It was a city in which the priests and the Levites lived. So this man could have been a priest or a Levite. We don't know. But we know that he was leaving Jerusalem and going to Jericho. And he fell among robbers. Who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. It's the cruelty of the world. Some of us might be the man laying on the side of the road, half dead. And if that's you tonight, I, we're praying for you. We believe that God is here for you and we're here for you. And I surely hope you're not a robber. You're not the person who's trying to steal from someone else in order to gain. Something extra. And these two, we don't know. We don't know if they were Jewish or not. It's possible. And now by chance, this, is, this phrase, now by chance, is not used anywhere else in the New Testament. It's, what Jesus is saying, it's almost like a setup. Like God has made this moment happen to test the people who will follow. This is now by chance. A priest Now, the priests were responsible for the sacrifices in the temple every day, all year round, and they worked in some kind of order. And and we're going to get to that in a minute. But you had this priest who had just spent a week in the temple offering sacrifices to God. He has been working hard in ministry, going down the road. And when he saw him, it's like he's over there. And he passed by on the other side he actually made an effort to cross the road so he was no longer his neighbor so he's walking down this in the road he sees the man here he crosses to the other side following the law saying i don't have to love him because he's not my neighbor and continued on his way and this is and likewise by chance a levite so the levites were servants in the temple their job was to help the priests with the sacrifices. They too also served a week long. And he too was in ministry for a week. And he was heading home. He was probably tired. And he sees the man. And walks up to him. And then turns to the other side. And walks. The, the harder part for the Levite. Is he got to that point. Where he could have done something. But decided not to. And then, but, see, Jesus is—he—he is, already's got this lawyer. He—he's got him kind of entangled in the story. He gets, oh yeah, but the priestess worked so hard, and the Levite have done so much. They've been up since early to late. They've been laboring before the Lord. It, maybe it's okay that they, they didn't love this guy. Maybe they should have. Maybe they should have done something. But it's—it's it's, it's okay. They've just done so much. But a Samaritan. The closest thing we have right now in America is the racial divide, particularly probably between blacks and whites. Samaritans were half Jewish. They have descendants from Jacob. They, they lived in an area of Israel where Jacob put a well. They were they, they they had a lineage. They worshiped to some extent Jehovah, but they also had some pagan rituals involved. But these people were absolutely hated. By the Jews. They had no rights to the temple. They did very little business with them at all. They were outcasts. We, we know the story of the woman at the well. She was a Samaritan. No one, she even says, No less you speak to me, a Samaritan and a woman. It was just something you just, it was a, a line that just wasn't crossed. And here he, journeying, came to where he was saw him, and here's the key, he had compassion. Scholars say it's doubtful that he was actually going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Uh, Jerusalem is, I I wish I had the map, but it's okay. So Jerusalem's here, Jericho's here, Samaria's up here. But if he was leaving the town out that side, he was a chance where he was just out on the outskirts, just where... This, there's a fork in the road that goes north to Samaria and then east to Jericho. And so maybe just in that area, just that one spot happens to walk by. Before he makes that turn to really to go home, he turns to this man. He sees him in his need and has compassion. And he went to him, bound his wounds Pouring oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him into the inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, two days' labor, which in today's terms is about 140 bucks, and gave it to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you need, I will pay when I come back. He acted within his ability and he responded to his area. And that's going to be important in a moment. but. The Samaritan had really no business with this man, and that's why I'm going to presume that the man who was injured was actually Jewish. I'm actually thinking that when when the lawyer thought, oh, the man that was coming from Jerusalem, he must have been Jewish. He fell some robbers, they probably weren't. But now why would the Samaritan, this person, cross a line to help someone that wasn't truly his neighbor? And it finishes with this. Jesus asks another question. Which of these do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? I don't know how big the frog was that the lawyer had to swallow before he gave this answer. But I tell you, he said it either in such a way that we could only imagine that it was like the one who showed mercy. Something like that. That's what I'm thinking. But but in such a way that he was like, oh, I really don't want to have to answer this. But he knew he had to. And Jesus said to him, you go. Which means he was telling the lawyer, you go and do likewise. And that's the story of the Good Samaritan. that, That this man went above and beyond. He took out of his means. He crossed the line that was culturally different. He aided to someone's assistance. And did good. Unlike the priests and the Levite who, who, who have been good. They're not, these aren't bad guys. I, I don't want you to think that man, oh my gosh, these are just such snob-nosed people. That, oh. No, these, these were church people. These were the pastors and the elders and the deacons of the temple doing work, had been, been working, but they, they, when, when they felt that their ministry line was done, they drew a line. And that's something we can never do. So the lawyer asking the question, who is my neighbor? Meaning, who should I show love and mercy and kindness to? Who who do I actually have to engage? What lines do I have to cross? Now we look to Leviticus 19.18 first. It says, you shall take no vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. That's the whole law that, that, that was that whole thing. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself, meaning if there was someone like you from your kinsmen or within the tribe of Israel or of the one of the 12 tribes, you actually had to show them love. There, there was no dividends of the person across the street didn't count or the two person two flocks down or the guy across the railroad tracks or the guy that lived in the slums or the guy that lived in the palace there was no line. It was all of Israel should love all of Israel. But God is actually even better than that. Leviticus 19, 9 and 10. You shall reap the harvest of your land. Uh, any farmers in the room? One farmer, former farmer. It, right. So so it, it just imagine, you know, green acres, right? Guy's gone out, plowed his field, and he would take his combine and tractor and he'd go behind. And the purpose is you would get all the grain, right? You you'd go all the way to the edge, back and forth, and he picked it all up. But the Lord's law was you shall not reap your fields up to the edge. There was actually supposed to be a path along the boundary of your field that you were plowing and the corners. Not only that, you were also not supposed to Pick up that which fell behind. Anyone familiar with the story of Ruth? A few of us read Ruth. It's like five chapters. Great book. But there's a story where Ruth returns to Israel with her mother-in-law Naomi. And she goes to the field of Boaz. And Boaz has his reapers out there. And they're, they're cutting with a sickle. And they bind up the wheat. And they sack it. And then they come through and collect it later to be sifted. But you can imagine... I'm using my best imagination right now. That if you took a manual sickle and you cut the grass, that some falls loose and some stays together. Well, that which falls loose was supposed to be for the poor. For those in need. And you weren't actually supposed to go and pick that up. If you dropped some or some fell out as you were carrying it, all of that was for the poor. And then it says, You shall not strip your vineyards bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes from your vineyard. So meaning, if you went clipping grapes and clusters and some loose pieces fell down on the ground. That was actually for the poor to walk through and pick up. This was God's social security system. God had put into, it was, but, but this is his provision for the poor was to come from the people of the land. That they were not to strip it bare and to leave some for those in need. And that's what it says at the end. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner. Now the sojourner is a person who is not an Israelite. That is someone who is from another land living in your land. And then that's a very broad word, which really to Israel means the Samaritans were sojourners in Israel. So they should have never been excluded from the care of the Israelites. And so if the lawyer knew the law, he should have never questioned who is my neighbor? Because I promise you, if the story was told in reverse, and it said a Samaritan had fallen amongst robbers, every Jewish man would have walked right past them and not cared. Because that's how they had practiced the law. So this law is, in some extent, true for us. We must love the people in our care, in our nation, in our neighborhood, in our family, who may not fit in or may not be like us. So, a little bit about the priesthood. I thought this was a little fascinating. We have a, actually a tale of this right here in the beginning of Luke chapter 1. It says, In the days of Herod, King Judah, a priest named Zechariah. Anyone know who Zechariah was? Off the top of your head? No? I heard Baptist somewhere. Five, he was the father of John the Baptist. And his wife was Elizabeth, right? So he was his name was Zachariah Zachariah Vision Abijah. So that was the tribe he was from, and his wife was Elizabeth. He was now serving the priest as priest before God when when his division was on duty, according to the customs of the priesthood. So this was a long-standing practice that had gone back generations upon generations. That these people would go into the temple. This was their normal practice. So if you want to read more about it. Turn, you can write down Numbers eighteen and you can read a little bit more. It's kind of a fascinating little thing to know. It's also true for the Levites. The Levites too also practiced a similar practice. It was based on their divisions, it was divided up by clans, so not one person was doing all the work. But it was divided out evenly amongst the family. So how should we love? I love this passage. 1 Corinthians thirteen, three through 8 If I give all I have to the poor and I deliver my body up to be burned but I have not love, I am nothing. You can do all the good. You know, there's plenty of people who do great humanitarian efforts and give a bunch of money but they don't have the love of God inside of them. Or they do it for selfish ambition, or they do it for the prize of saying, guess what? I gave a hundred million dollars to fight AIDS, which would be is a great thing. But when you do it with that projection to the world, you are not doing it in love. Why? Because love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So how how do we serve? We serve in an attitude of love. It is for us to go into the world as Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, to go out into the nations, in our regions, in our neighborhoods, to love as Christ has loved us. I'm going to take a turn real quick, and you might like it, you might not. This passage that I'm giving to you is one of the root passages of my wife and I's ministry. The reason we are in ministry comes in these few verses. And it reads from Matthew. It says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne before Him. Will be gathered all the nations. And He will separate the peoples as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. And the king will say on the right, come. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did to the one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Our Christian faith is a lot more about do's than don'ts. Christianity is about action. Now, I I will give you that we as Christians should avoid sin. And and there are probably things in all of our lives, including mine, that we should eliminate. But it was never a call to just find a way to self-purify ourselves in holiness. But it was to go out into the world and love people in tangible ways. Food, water, shelter, clothes, visitation, comfort, compassion. This is what the Good Samaritan did. He saw a person in his need and reached out and had compassion. And if the Good Samaritan was a real man, I promise you, he is listed amongst the faithful who is receiving this inheritance because of what he did. There's another side to this. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And then they will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or in prison? And we did not minister to you. And then he will say to them, truly, I say to you, you did not do to one of the least of these. You did not do it to me. And these will go away in eternal punishment and the righteousness into eternal life. So there is an association of our righteousness with our works. Works do not save you. You cannot earn your merit, earn your way into heaven. I promise you, you can try, it won't work. Christ is the key. You must have Christ to enter into heaven. But if you have Christ, you must do something. And before you all get scared and and, and run off, I, I, w- I want to encourage you because I, sometimes we go the world's a mess what am I to do? I got some things for you Galatians six ten. Paul's words to the Galatians love this passage so then as long as you have we have the opportunity keyword here is opportunity let us do good to everyone doesn't say, do good to everyone all the time. It's as we have opportunity. Especially to those who are in the household of faith. The reason why I say opportunity is I think there's a need for us to begin to think about how we are going to serve the kingdom. It would be great. I would be greatly encouraged if every one of you said, you know what, Pastor Josh? I'm selling all that I have and I'm moving to another country. If there's 80 people in this room, that would be 40 countries. If we went two by two, as the disciples said, we could reach 40 countries. And that would be amazing. But that may not be what your opportunity is. Let me explain. Paul's words again. I do not count my life of any value or as precious to myself. If only I finish my course. And the ministry that I have received from the Lord. This is your prayer request. This is for you to say, what is my course? God, has anyone ever heard the saying, if I knew then what I know now, if I could go back to a, you know, there's a great song that says, dear younger me. If I could go back to my 16 year old self and tell my 16 year old self what I know now, maybe I would prevent myself from doing what I do now. Yeah, but the only way you know now what you know is because you went through what you went through then. The person you are now is because of that. It's not pleasant. There are some things we wish we could avoid. And I, I am certain there's things I know I wish I could not have done. But it is out of that that my course is plotted. It is now in that which I take up my banner and I march forward to serve the ministry that God has given me. In the same way, you have a course and God has given you a ministry. And it doesn't necessarily have to be in the church, and that's the best part. It doesn't have to be in this building, it doesn't even have to be in a building. It could be in your home, at your dining room table, it could be at a park. It could be in your office building. It could be overseas. But this is your prayer. God is saying, God, through my course, what I've gone through, good or bad, lead me. Help me find my ministry that I might serve. Because my life is not as precious as this great grace you've given me. One more passage 1 Corinthians 16 um, I want to bring a little bit of clarity Real quick Sometimes we Use the phrase God open a door for me Right? Has anyone prayed that prayer or said God opened this door for a new job Or a new home or a new community Right? We, okay, that's good You're probably using it out of context Sorry <laughs> This is context Paul's words again, and I stayed in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door of effective worth work has been opened to me. Paul always referenced the doors open. So if you turn to, you to know, turn there, write it down. Acts 14, 27, Acts 14, 27. The, the concept in the New Testament of a door open other than where Jesus says in Revelations, I stand at the door and knock. Even that is a reference to faith. But every time that that Paul references a door being opened, it has to do with his ministry. It has to do with an opportunity for the gospel to go forward. So I believe that God might open a new door for you to have a new job, but it's for the intent of the gospel. He might move you into a new neighborhood, but it's for the intent of the gospel. He might bring you a new relationship, and it'll be for the intent of the gospel. God's not going to give you a Mercedes Benz for, well, he might, but I, I truly doubt it. That, anyone know that song? Oh, Lord, will not you buy me a Mercedes Benz? Yeah. Okay, look it up. But, but back to this passage. I, Paul saw that his need to stay in Ephesus was for the work of the gospel. And he actually even recognized that it was hard. There were many adversaries. He had a lot. He was thrown in prison in Ephesus. They rioted against him. He was, it was so bad they lifted him up and carried him to the, the, to the centurion headquarters. They thought he was gonna, they were going to tear him to bits. But we don't quit doing effective work just because there's hard things. This is when we begin to look at the lives of others. Uh, names you probably may or may not know. Rick Sucker, Tom Blackstone, Amy Pullinger, William Carey, Amy Carmichael, Elliot and Elizabeth, no, Jim and, El- Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. These people were willing to go to the ends of the earth, for many of them, with great loss. Having known some of those missionaries personally, I know what they've sacrificed to be in the field. The, the viruses and the illnesses and, and the things that they went through to give the gospel to people who needed it. Jackie Pullinger, I think I said her, I think it said Amy Pullinger, his name's Jackie Jackie Pullinger. She went to at one point in time the most densely pos- populated area in the world. 33,000 people lived in 6 acres. That's a lot of people and not a lot of space. She had she was from England. She was single. She was filled with the Holy Spirit and she told her pastor, "Pastor, I have to go and preach the gospel." and he says where do i go and, and the pastor said where do you want to go she goes i don't know so his advice to her he says hop on a ship and go till it ends and she ended in hong kong a- and she left england the comfort coziness of, of her fireplace and her church and her family and traveled around the globe and settled in hong kong place this this little place uh, i think it was or i can't remember dragon something was the name of the town i, I don't remember It was full of violence and prostitution and drugs. It was filthy and nasty. And she went in and found a little bitty space and opened a Sunday school and started praying. At one point in time, one of the gangs came in and ransacked the place. They they, they tore up the chairs. They flipped the tables. they, They broke everything. They smeared feces on the walls, hoping to drive her out. And she showed up the next morning. She opened the door. She began to pray she cleaned the room and she stayed the the impact was so great that the the gang lord of the men who who did the damage told the men to go back and apologize the 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 impact that she actually had such a powerful prayer ministry that the drug lords actually sent their their members their their drug dealers there to get sober so that they would be more effective in their drug selling now that's a little weird But that was the effect of her ministry. She began to change over the lives of these people one prayer at a time. God will open the door for effective work for you, I promise. It it could be, let's look at it this way. Look at the bottom first areas of help local, regional, and global. I've been on mission trips with some of you in this room. I believe in mission trips. I think we should go to the nations. I think we have a call to go to unreached people, but we cannot forsake our neighborhoods for the people overseas. I think there's people in your workplace, in your family, in your neighborhood, your apartment complex, your townhouse, your your, your region, your your local area, but then there's the region. Maybe there's a need for you to go to Miami or to Jacksonville or Pensacola or maybe Atlanta, right? this region and then or maybe even further so the first part of this prayer is god it's where are you opening the door for is it local is it regional is it global now let's talk about the level of help or ability to help okay any doctors in the room no doctors okay any nurses in the room i know there's one anyone know first aid we're in trouble if someone gets hurt Okay, if you don't know basic first aid and CPR, you can take a class. It'd be good advice. The point being, if all you know is how to put on a Band-Aid, put on a Band-Aid. The last thing you want me to do is open heart surgery. It won't end well. Does that make sense? There's the level of our ability. If you have the ability to put on a Band-Aid, Band-Aid somebody. If you are a paramedic or a nurse and you can take it to that next level where you can sustain their life, I'm looking at Brett, he, I know. Right, if you have that ability to sustain someone's life until greater medical equipment arrives, do it. And if you're a trauma surgeon, then be a trauma surgeon. Right, it, it, it's, okay. My wife is a, is a therapist. Wave, honey. Thank you. Right, your level of counseling ability is probably not on par with hers, and that's okay. It's a compliment. Take it. And that's okay. If you come across a situation and someone is in dire straits and they're just like just overwhelmed with anxiety, depression, grief, who knows, and, and, and you don't know what to do, the least you can do is pray. Pray. And then your job is to get them somewhere else. And see, that's what the Samaritan did. He took the person from the roadside and dropped them off, probably somewhere who could care for him better. So if we go back to last week where we talked about evangelism, when we disciple, when we share the gospel with someone and someone comes to faith, we have a responsibility to take someone to the next step. And this is my encouragement for you is is when you come across that person in need, it doesn't necessarily have to be tangible. But when we come across those people in need, are you willing and able to take them one step? Some of you might be able to take them more, but be willing to take them that one step. So if you're interested in serving, you can serve here on campus, you can serve the community, you can serve global. I would love to tell you how to do that. But it is for all of us. No one is exempt as a Christian from service. And I pray, I do pray that you find your course and you find your ministry. Let's pray. Generally, Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. We thank you for this time together. We thank you for this great parable of the Good Samaritan. That you showed us how to have mercy. How to truly love our neighbor. And actually, in by loving our neighbor, we are giving our love to you. Giving our love to the Father. Father God, I pray that you pour out your spirit upon our, these people. Lord, that you'll stir in their hearts their course and their ministry. Whether it be in the walls of a church or overseas or or just across the county. I pray that you give them strength and wisdom and discernment to, to show that compassion. That you, as that song says, open our eyes for just one moment. Give us your eyes so we can see. Father God, I just pray that we can see what needs to be seen. Lord, I just pray that we respond to our ability. That we respond to the, the, to the giftings you have given us. Father God, thank you so much for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.